This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Good morning and welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Catherine Klein, Vice Dean for Social Impact here at Wharton. And I'm Cheryl Coleman. And we are excited to be with you with a great lineup today. I'm excited that uh, our first guest who's going to join us shortly is Charlene Lake, Chief Sustainability Officer and SVP of Corporate Social Responsibility at AT&T. Without further ado, let's let's uh, welcome our guest, Charlene. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Good morning, Catherine and Cheryl. I'm Good morning happy to, to be you. here. Great to have you with us. Um, so maybe let's let's start with... Tell, you know, you've been at AT and T for uh, for a while. You've got this this great role, uh, but what are you excited about right now? As you as maybe as you think about the end of your your calendar year and the year ahead, you know, what are you feeling proud about with AT and T the, the the work you've done, uh, and what are you thinking? Okay, this is next on our horizon as we think about our our corporate social responsibility. Well, it's it's been such a terrific year for us, and I think it's been. Terrific in my mind, simply because we have made so much progress this year, and that's a lot to do with the increased enthusiasm from the market and the increased recognition from all segments of society about the kind of work uh, this is and, the, and, and how important it is to society. So we've, um, uh, you know, we concentrate on trying to use our technology to actually drive positive change in the world, whether it's you know, using our network technology to connect, you know, cameras, uh, camera-enabled IRA smart glasses, or um, uh, using the Internet of Things to help customers become more efficient in ways that are reducing their carbon emissions. Some of the milestones we've made this year, though, I found I find really exciting. We've we've been connected and supporting education for a decade at least in a very concentrated manner, and we celebrated 10 years of that this year with our Aspire program that helps make kids successful in high school, um, successful in their careers. We made great progress in uh, renewable energy. We announced 820 megawatts of wind power purchases, and that's one of the largest corporate purchases of renewable energy in the U.S. So that's it was very exciting for us to make that kind of progress. Charlene, that seems, yeah, that's a lot of stuff that you've been doing there. Pretty exciting. Can can you help you know fill in some details around this? For instance, what is the what is the smartphone um, app that allows p- customers to see about their sustainability and their carbon footprint? The smartphone app. Uh, well, we've launched. Uh, if, if if you're referring to the one that we recently launched last week, uh, we did a screen ready launch in our northeast stores, where we're helping parents understand how to um, better um, uh, 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 control the the access and the safety of children's use of online uh, mobile media. So we made the announcement where we're inviting parents into our northeast retail stores. And we're setting up parental controls for them on their phones, and we're, um, you know, giving them tools to help them monitor and, um, you know, help their kids stay safe online. And this is something that's really exciting for our employees because they do this at home in their in their personal lives. Because of course, their parents as well, their husbands and 
fathers and mothers and uncles and aunts. And so now we're taking that into the store and we're having that direct-to-consumer relationship where we're helping parents use their phones wisely and teach their children to use their phones wisely. Got it. And then another program that you've mentioned and that I, I gather has been a larger and you know and longer time uh, emphasis for AT&T is this AT&T Aspire. Uh, so how, do, how does that work? What is AT&T's role with this organization? Well, we started Aspire probably, um, well, it was almost exactly 10 years ago because we did celebrate a decade of service this year. And we started it because, of course, education is one of the most important things we think we can do for the future of this company, and we've spent about $450 million to date supporting organizations that are really driving incredible change in the world. And I think the thing that uh, we've learned over time that we feel the best about in this program is we're having significant impact. So when we take a look at our top 25 premier partners, we verified that those students who have gone through these programs that are really driving change, these are all nonprofit programs, mm-hmm. the students had better attendance, they had higher GPAs, and when you couple that with what the Department of Labor statistics say, that means that, that those programs have delivered anywhere from like 4 to $9 billion in economic impact. So you know, it's so important for us to make sure underserved students have a chance at excellent careers, mm-hmm. and so we focus on reskilling them, you know, much like we focus on reskilling our workforce so they're ready for those jobs of tomorrow. Got it. And is, are, these, are these philanthropic contributions that, that uh, AT&T's role is really as a, a donor? A donor, a partner, a donor and, and, you know, and partner uh, with these nonprofits, but primarily a donor. Is that, is that, is that correct? Uh, most of them are. Most of them, they're donor relationships, but they're, but they're donor partner relationships. Because mm-hmm. over time, what we have done is we've worked with these nonprofit partners to help them understand how to measure the impact. It's not just taking money and throwing it over a wall and then going on to another issue. We've, we follow that money. Mm-hmm. We help understand what does that dollar actually produce for the company? What does it produce for society? And then we go in and verify that with those premier partners to say, okay, how did those students actually perform compared to a similarly situated group of children? So we know what are the best of the best organizations out there to help fund. Now, we do have programs that are not donor-funded in this space. We run an Aspire Accelerator where we look for the most promising ed tech companies, startups in the country, and those can be for-profit or those can be non-profit. And we bring them in and we give them mentoring through our experts in the company and other experts we know to help get them on their feet because they are developing really game-changing technologies for, um, you know, for some of education's most difficult challenges. Right. I'm, I'm curious as we stick for a moment with the philanthropy, um, when you, when you think of AT&T's philanthropic work, I mean, you've, you know, you're giving away obviously a large, a large amount of money, millions every year. Do you stick with a particular uh, area? Are you domestically focused? How do you decide where to give, um, where to give, whether to bring on, you know, new nonprofit uh, partners or to, uh, you know, continue working with existing ones? Just like that, that's a lot of money to give away wisely, obviously. Well, it's a, it's a great question, and uh, it was 
about 10 years ago where we decided that our dollars were better used if we could have um, issue impact versus program impact. So we were funding a lot of different programs in a lot of different areas, and they're all very, very worthy. So we decided to concentrate it mostly on education. And so that's why we got laser-focused, um, trying to find the organizations that had the greatest impact, and we set uh, goals according to that, those priorities. Now, that's not exclusive. We also are working in some other areas, but the vast majority of our work is focused in this education space because that's so important to the country, and it's so important to us because you know, we have an incredibly talented workforce, but we want to continue to have an incredibly talented workforce. So we think it's our responsibility to work on that pipeline mm-hmm. that enters into uh, corporate America. And so I'm, I'm curious about the uh, accelerator, the Aspire Accelerator. How does that work? How do you identify who gets into those the, the accelerator program? What role do employees play? To help, help us understand the role that you're doing with it. Well, we started this. Uh, we started this about five years ago, and we put a call out to nonprofits and for-profits, and said, if you are working on mobile technology, if you have a mostly viable product, apply. And we this year we got over about 350 mm. applications, and we scour through those applications, and you know we pick what are you know the five to eight most promising and uh you know we we bring them in and it's a virtual accelerator so we don't make anybody move to a particular location but we bring them in and it's a six-month program where we help them understand um, how to run a, a viable successful business we we figure out what they need the most help in do they need most help in understanding how to write a marketing plan you know how to scale their business do they need uh, uh, technical help and then we connect them to people in our business who can provide that kind of support and it's after five years it's uh, really rewarding that all accelerator companies that uh, we've been working with are still in business. Mm, good. Um, I know it's it's a uh, it's a really it's a big pride point for us. Yeah, we're really, we're, we make an investment in these companies. Obviously, if they're a nonprofit, we make a contribution. If they're for profit, we make an investment. And uh, they've reached uh, more than 12 million students today with their new technologies. So it's um, it's a really exciting venture because we're not only helping. Um, ed tech entrepreneurs, uh, a lot of the minority women owned, most of them, in fact. But we're helping the students with bringing them new technology. Interesting. And and I'm curious to know more about uh, what you've learned about running an accelerator in this way. I mean, this is it's an interesting model. I'm intrigued by the fact that you know that the the uh, that the accelerator is um, you know, virtual. Uh, you, you're not bringing people uh, to one central location, but you are partnering, um, you know, I, 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 with mentors at AT and T. So, like, that's an intriguing model for other companies. You know, it's an intriguing model for Wharton. Tell us, tell us what you've learned about how to make that work. Well, we're still learning. You know, we've 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 uh, we've learned a lot already, and I think the journey will continue. Where you know, every year we change things. We decided one of the early things we learned was to make it uh, virtual. There are incredibly talented entrepreneurs, 
or people with entrepreneurial spirit who want to be entrepreneurs all over this country. They're not just in Silicon Valley, not just in New York. They're all over the place. And so forcing someone who has limited resources who wants to start um, a company or a nonprofit to move can be extraordinarily difficult, and it can be limiting. So... You know, bringing these uh, that our classes together, you know, once or twice or three times throughout the course of the six months has proven to to work. But we we have the technology to be able to provide virtual support. Um, so that was a that was a key learning, and we're working really hard to try to get uh, organizations in, you know, in the middle part of the country, you know, and not just on the coast. And, and we're gradually having some impact there. We've also learned that, you know, we need to partner. I mean, we, AT&T doesn't have all the answers in, in any of the space, accelerator or otherwise. So, you know, we reach out to, you know, business partners we have. We reach out to NGOs. We reach out to, um, you know, colleagues in other places to help connect them to these, uh, these accelerator participants. So um, it's it's really rewarding. Uh, we just graduated our last class of eight, and uh, we'll soon be opening the um, applications for next year. Oh, great! So listeners, if they're if they've got a, a technology that they're working on, can be looking for that call. Absolutely, that's great. We're talking with Charlene Lake. She's the Chief Sustainability Officer and SVP of Corporate Social Responsibility at AT and T. Uh, you know, Charlene, we we talk a lot on this show about uh, sustainability, corporate social responsibility, impact investing, a lot of a lot of jargon in our space. Um, I'm sure you get asked when you when people say, "Well, what exactly do you do at AT and T?" Uh, I'm sure people ask you, like, "Chief Sustainability Officer, what's that? What's sustainability?" Um, so, how do you define this for people? Well, usually the first thing I say is it's the best job in the company. <laughs> but I probably should keep that more of a secret than I actually do because it's it's it truly is amazing to be able to work for a company that cares about improving the world we live in, and it's not just a corporate commitment; um, it's our employees and you know it's our colleagues are really my colleagues are really committed to the cause. But you know it's all about using a company's assets to help improve the world we live in because companies and um, the environment are inextricably linked, the environment they work in. So if a community is healthy, if consumers have um, spending power, then a company is going to be healthier. So not only do we have a moral imperative to help society and help the environment, it's a business imperative. It actually helps everyone become healthier. And it's an extraordinarily rewarding um, discipline to be in, and and is this is this? I mean, I was struck by your titles and the kind of dual title on corporate social responsibility and sustainability. Is sustainability? Did one of these titles come first? Did has the road uh-huh. has the role evolved, and then there was a sense of you know, no, we really want this dual focus. Well, actually, it's uh, it, it's it's an abundance of clarification why all of those words are in the title. Um, I think the whole discipline kind of goes through a, um, a definition challenge. Yes. <laughs> Most people in the country think that sustainability refers to environmental issues, mm-hmm. and it certainly can. We define it very broadly. It's social and environmental. But we, because we look at it broadly, we use corporate responsibility. We use sustainability. We don't want there to be any doubt that, um, you know, we, we look at this in a way that is um, an environmental 
focus. It's a social focus. It's a responsibility focus. And so how do you, how is this uh, division structured within AT&T? Do you have a team? Where do, where do you report to? How, how do you um, um, operationalize this approach? Well, I do have a team. I have a team uh, in the United States and Latin America and Mexico. And it's, it's a fairly small team. And we did that by design when we started this 10 years ago, because if the job of um, so sustainability or corporate responsibility is seen as owned by me and my team, then I don't think the company can actually become sustainable. Right. It needs to be seen as a job of everybody in the company. So uh, it, and it's also kind of a portable organization. It can exist in any uh, organization because it serves the entire corporation. I am in the government affairs and legal organization of the company, mm-hmm. but the entire team works very horizontally and across, across the whole organization. Yeah, and I think you're you're right. A lot of companies do really want to make the sustainability driven throughout the company, make it every employee's responsibility to be thinking about this and, and acting on it in, in important ways. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, absolutely. And it's also important that you have leadership support and buy-in, so it needs to be horizontal and it needs to be vertical. When right. we first started the function, our CEO not only immediately agreed to the function, but he put the accountability at the board level, and he changed the charter of one of our board committees um, to make sure that everyone understood that this is is important, clear to the top of the company. Excellent. Interesting. Interesting. So how did the board, how did this board, the charge to the board uh, change? The, he, he, he took an existing committee of the board of directors, and he added to it the responsibility of corporate social responsibility. So our discipline, the work within the company, mm-hmm. um, is governed all the way to the top of the company now. Yeah. And so, you know, as you've mentioned, the, this corporate social responsibility, sustainability is not just about, you know, it's not, it's not purely altruistic. You know, there's a, a strong sense that this is going to be important for uh, you know that that what is good for the world here is good for AT and T as well, and and uh, you know you're you're seeing this. It sounds as a as a win win opportunity. I'm I'm curious about the brand. You know what is AT and T's brand, um, and and how is you know how do you see social responsibility being part of that brand? What would you hope? you know, uh, consumers would see and understand. So that's a lot of questions in there. <laughs> and apologies for that. But, you know, this this brand question, this brand identity, how do you think about that? Right, because it goes to the authenticity of the actions, right, and the fit with the, what the corporate brand is. Right. Well, I'm also struck by AT&T is a name I think that many of us know and have known for decades. I can't but imagine anyone doesn't. That's right. Well, you know, younger generation may not. We, you know, we, may de- we may be dating ourselves. But if you ask me exactly what AT&T does today, you know, I don't really – I'm not sure I have a great grasp of that. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what is the – how is the company known – uh, both for you know what it does in its main business lines and how is is social impact social responsibility uh, woven into that brand? You hope. Well, I guess I guess I'll start by um, explaining. Then on the business side, you know, it's well as a company, we've evolved dramatically in a short period of time. Right. We've gone from a brand that was rooted in the telecom space, dating back more than 140 years, and then we grew into the wireless space, and now we're on to being a modern media company that brings together content and direct-to-consumer relationships and 
advertising technology and, and high-speed networks. But that is, of course, what we do. The whole other element to the brand of, is who we are. And who we are is just you know, well over a quarter of a million people who are in communities, big and small, all across the nation primarily, but also around the world now. And, you know, they've been engaged in community service for literally decades. Even though we formalized our CSR function about 10 years ago, our employees have been committed to these communities for decades and decades. And so it is through their actions that so much of this work comes to life and so much of the brand is able to be enhanced. Um, I'll give you just a recent example. We've um, launched in Chicago an effort that's focused on a particular community program, and it's a program that actually was employee-designed and employee-led. It focuses on bringing our assets like our hiring, our services, our contributions specifically concentrated on the 19 Chicago neighborhoods that are most affected by gun violence. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't work unless you have employees you know, feet on the street, you know, people in the neighborhoods who care about those neighbors. They live there, so of course they care about them, but the rest of the employee base does as well. And so that's how so much of this comes to life, um, is programs that are designed for our employees to get engaged with. Interesting. And um, and then, you know, one of the getting delving back into some of the specifics, sounds like uh, part of the work you've been uh, focused on and supporting has to do with, I guess, uh, you know, what I think of as the, the the negative side of online connectivity of, you know, um, some da- da- whether it's dangers of texting or hate campaigns or hate speech. You know, what is it? Um, can you tell us more about that work and why this focus? Sure. It's our products and services in this whole world of technology in particular can do so much good. I mean, we, we've all benefited as a, as a world from the advancements of technology, and it's really important to us. It's at our core that we want our products and services to be used for good. And that's, you know, one of, that is one of the main reasons why we launched our It Can Wait campaign uh, many years ago to focus on keeping drivers' eyes on the road, not on their phones. Um, to date, we've actually collected 34 million pledges from consumers to say, I will stop distracted driving. But it's not just using the phones in the cars. You think about all of the um, potential perils of being online. Mm-hmm. Um, and where that starts, a lot of times it doesn't start with um, necessarily bad actions. It starts with bad attitudes. And we launched an initiative last year to very young um, uh, consumers, I would say children, who we were giving them tools to say, you know, I, d- I can back out of this conversation on so- social media. We called it later haters. You know, we don't have to engage in a conversation that is negative. It can be positive. We launched this year something called Great Games because esports has just exploded, yeah. right? So to help curb the what is a growing problem with cyberbullying we want to promote good sportsmanship in esports and online gaming and it's actually similar to what i mentioned in uh, our pilot in the northeast we want to teach children 
and their parents because parents have a real fear when their students disappear, when their children disappear sure. online. You know, how do we give them the tools to help them keep safe and to know exactly what to do? And that's really important to us. So, Charlene, can you delve into that just a little bit more? So are you, is the work you're doing in these areas about um, information and education and, and perhaps advocacy, like signing a pledge, or are, is there a technological uh, fix to this that you're developing and employing? Well, it's, it's, it's a variety of things. For, you know, good games and later haters, it's more social media efforts and, and, and tools for ways to talk online and, and, and ways to extract yourself from conversations. Uh, for It Can Wait, we've actually developed an app that can help control your urges to text when you're in the, uh, the car. In our online safety in our, our Northeast pilot, it's actually um, a bit of technology where a parent can come in and, and put in there, well, I want to uh, uh, find, I have a, my, my child is 13 years old and I'm most interested in cyberbullying. And so, you know, it narrows down through, uh, the, through what we've created to help direct them to exactly the kinds of things they need to learn. So we're developing it in all areas because people are consuming the information um, and need to consume it in a variety of different ways. Got it. And Charlene, we're coming to the end of our uh, of our of our uh, conversation here. We have, time flies by. Um, you are the, as we said, the Chief Sustainability Officer and SVP of Corporate Social Responsibility. We are, you know, sitting on the Wharton campus where lots of students ask us, "How do I have a career in impact? You know, should I go into business? What should my route What should my route be?" Tell us, uh, you know, as as uh, you know, what what has been a little bit more about your path? How did you get? You know, briefly, we only have a, a few minutes, but how did you get into this position? And and any lessons or uh, advice for for younger people who are thinking, yeah, I want to have a career where I get to be an advocate for social responsibility. Oh, it's a, it's a great question. Well, when I was. Uh, being schooled in college, uh, this profession didn't even exist. <laughs> so it, it is fascinating to look back and, and see that journey. But I've been involved in, in advertising and public relations and sports marketing and government relations. And, you know, this is something that we each one of those um, areas was something uh, that, that, that we, we built, too. This is something that we, you know, we built because we saw a particular need. And I think the advice that I would give young people is, you know, business can have such power to change society and to solve social problems. It's a great place to have an impact. Um, it doesn't have to be a nonprofit. We need nonprofits desperately in this world, but business can have a big impact. And you can have it no matter where you sit in this company, in any company, because you can look through your job, you can look through a sustainability lens, and you can, you can develop an app that can solve a problem. You can think about how do I um, reduce my energy consumption with whatever mechanism I'm running for the company. There are so many ways all across companies that people can make a difference, but it's having the right attitude and the right purpose and the right drive to do so. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much for being with us, Shirley. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.